Today we're going to be reading in Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. We got an extra hour of sleep, so you're all perky and ready to go this morning. That's great. Before I get started this morning, I wanted to mention something, which is kind of a cool partnership that we've been asked and are invited to be part of that's happening this morning, but you're not really aware of it because it's a couple hours away. Uh, I was contacted a few weeks ago by Luke Hendricks, who's on staff with Church Venture Northwest, which used to be Conservative Baptist Northwest, which is part of the association that we're part of. And he, he knows me well, and he knows our church well, and he knows that while I was off on sabbatical this summer, we had eight men from the congregation who stepped into the pulpit and ably handled the word and preached, and so he, knew, he knows that we're well-fed, but he also knows that we're well-gifted, that God has really given this church a lot of different giftings. And there's a church that was in need, that is in need, uh, that's between pastors, and it's Prairie Baptist Church out in Prairie City. Some of you may be familiar with that church. They're between pastors right now, and the, they have three elders who are filling the pulpit. And at first, they were pretty scared to do that, <laughs> pretty nervous to do that on a regular basis. And they've kind of gotten into the groups. So they want to continue preaching, the three of them sharing the pulpit. But they were hoping that they could maybe get a little bit of help once a month. And so um, we have several men who have stepped up, and maybe more who will step up, to go out there uh, once a month or so and serve them. So today, Gabe Hendricks is out in Prairie City uh, filling the pulpit for them. And he and Diane are out there, and uh, you can be praying for them. And I, and I just ask that you would pray for that church, that they would be able to um, find what God is leading them to as far as a pastor and in their future. In two weeks, Joe Stancamp is going to be out there uh, preaching and filling the pulpit on the 19th of November, and then on, the, I think, the 17th of December, A.J. Myers is going to be heading out there. So um, just be praying for that, and if you miss those guys, know that they're out there, and if you want to go to church out in Prairie City and encourage them, go for it. It's probably, probably a fun thing to do. So uh, lift that up and just ask you to pray for them on a regular basis. Now, we're going to get into Matthew 16 here. And as we continue to work through this very central passage in the, in the book of Matthew, uh, we come to verse 19, which is one of the most enigmatic, confusing verses in all of the Bible. Here's what Jesus says, speaking to his disciple Peter, verse 19, he says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
And I, there was at least two different instances this week where I was talking to people and I mentioned, hey, I'm, I'm preaching on this verse. I, Jesus says, I'll give you the key, keys of the kingdom of heaven, etc." And two separate people on two different occasions looked at me and said, I have no idea what that verse means. <laughs> and I'm you know, excited to hear about it on Sunday morning. And it's easy to read that and go, like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? And it would be easy for me to skip this verse and go to verse 20 and 21. <laughs> Let's just keep going because that's too confusing or uh, too uninteresting to us. Or maybe, it does, you know, how does that affect my life today? And um, just to let you know, we're not a church that does that. We're not going to skip scriptures just because they're uncomfortable or confusing. Okay, we really want to dig into the Word of God and preach the entirety of Scripture. So here we go this morning into this verse. And if you are in the same boat as those couple of people this morning and you're going like, I have no idea what that means, just take comfort that you're not alone. Because, I mean, I mean, seriously, what is Jesus talking about here when he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom? What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? I have with me up here a beautiful jewelry box, and in it is a golden key. Isn't that nice? This was the key that was presented to George Whitmer in 1967. How many of you knew George Whitmer? Okay. It was, it was presented to George in 1967 when this building was completed, and George was the chair of the trustee board at the time, and he was a pretty powerful man, and he was kind of the one that got this building built. And this was the key to the building, right? Now, I'll guarantee you that this key right here opens uh, probably a total sum of zero doors at this building right now. But it's kind of cool that it was here. George had it for 31 years. I don't know why he kept it. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> like, hmm, did he think he was, you know, he was the boss? These are the actual keys to the building, these keys will get you anywhere in this building that you want to get, including the janitor's closet. Um, so it's interesting. Is, is that what we're talking about here? Are we talking about keys that were given to us 56 years ago? Are we talking about keys to the building? Like Peter, you know, Jesus saying, I've given you the keys to the church building, and they're all yours. It's probably not what Jesus was talking about here, right? Now, there's another conception in our kind of popular imagination that's become a entrenched in the modern imagination, but it's really been an idea that's been around since the Middle Ages, and it's this kind of popular mythology of the image of St. Peter, right? You know where St. Peter stands, right? At the pearly gates, right? Doesn't he stand at the pearly gates of heaven with a podium like this and a very large book, and you better hope your name's written in the book, because if your name's written in the book, then he'll open up the gates with the keys to the kingdom and let you in to heaven. Now, it would make sense, based on this verse, that Peter's the one that's standing at the gates letting people in or not letting them in, right? Now, this has made its way into our popular imagination. I'm a big Farside fan. Remember the Farside? Um, this is a math-phobics nightmare. So somebody shows up, there's St. Peter at the gates of heaven. He says, okay, now listen up. Nobody gets in here without answering the following question. A train leaves Philadelphia at 1 p.m., is traveling 65 miles per hour. Another train leaves Denver at 4. Hey, say you need some paper, you know, to work out. So if you didn't pay attention in math class, you know, you may not get into heaven. It's kind of, it's kind of the joke there. All right, love far side, good stuff. You know, here's another one, more modern one. This guy's saying, you're kidding, you count SATs? <laughs> 
And then uh, this one is from Bizarro. Sorry, your name and user password don't match. Username and password don't match. He's got an Apple there, a Mac. So you get the humor, and the humor is, okay, what are the kind of things that are going to keep us out of heaven? Or, or what, are the things that are, what are some of the things that are going to allow us into heaven? And we can make a lot of jokes out, out of that. It's a classic question. And there's, there's kind of this idea, like, do we even know what's going to get us into heaven or not? But honestly, this is a thoroughly unbiblical picture of what's actually going to happen. Okay? So now, for centuries, this verse was the hinge upon which the power of the church, and especially the church like in the Middle Ages, and the only church in the Middle Ages before the Protestant Reformation was, was the Roman Catholic Church. And this, this power, or, or this verse, was kind of the, the power, excuse me, the hinge on which the power of the church turned. And specifically, how much power the Roman Catholic Pope has. So, so for the Catholic Church, the Pope is considered to be the head of the church and the heir of St. Peter. Okay, so the valid, he is the valid successor of these keys to the kingdom, which in the Middle Ages especially became a, a way to wield power by either granting forgiveness or withholding forgiveness from people. And, and one of the reasons the reformers like Martin Luther had such an issue with the church at the time in the 16th century was because they were using this so-called power to make money. Right? They were selling forgiveness or granting forgiveness through, through selling these um, pieces of paper that said you're forgiven. So, so the Pope had the power to say who was in and who was out of the church. The power to say who was right and who, or who was right with God and then who wasn't right with God. And there's actually a, a famous story of a major conflict, uh, and I'm, you probably haven't heard of this, but in the 11th century between a German king, King Henry IV, and the Pope at the time, whose name was Gregory VII. And Henry and uh, King Henry and Pope Gregory had had this major public conflict where Henry actually called for the Pope to stand down, to resign from the papacy, from leading the church. And the Pope, guess what he did not do? He didn't resign, okay? He held on. He said, no, 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 that's not going to happen. What I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to excommunicate the king. So he excommunicates King Henry in a very public way. And in doing that, he says, because King Henry is outside of the fellowship of the church, none of his subjects have to submit to him anymore. Which, if you were one of his um, nobles in Germany and you didn't like him and you didn't want him to be on the throne, maybe you wanted some power, you would have taken advantage of that. So in order to save his throne, what Henry did, he did this pretty drastic thing, he walked on foot hundreds of miles in the winter through the treacherous Italian Alps to this castle named Canossa where the Pope was residing at the time. And along with him was this contingent of people, including his wife and young child. And um, they came, and he came to do penance and to beg forgiveness of the Pope so that he could be reconciled and let back into the church. And he gets to this castle called Canossa, Gets there, knocks on the door, asks for access, and the Pope, Gregory, for three days, left the door shut. And Henry, barefoot and bareheaded, sat outside the door begging for forgiveness. This was the king of Germany who had eventually become the Holy Roman Emperor on his knees 
in front of the Pope asking for forgiveness. And eventually the Pope let him in, would grant him pardon. It's a fascinating story. It didn't end well for either of those guys. But the question is, is this what we're talking about? Is this what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the keys of the kingdom? This, these keys to some kind of power. Oh, and here, by the way, here's a famous painting of that scene of Henry at the door. Is this what Jesus is intending when he talks about the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom? Well, to understand this idea, the idea of the keys of the kingdom, or at least to begin to understand it, I think we have to begin by trying to wrap our minds, our heads around the idea of the kingdom of heaven itself. What is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of heaven? And the first thing, we're going to go all around Matthew this morning. I'm not going to go outside of Matthew. We're just going to see what Jesus has to say about the kingdom. And the first thing we notice in the book of Matthew is that the kingdom of heaven is the very core of Jesus' teaching. So when we first find it introduced when John the Baptist comes on the scene in Matthew chapter 3, and he's preaching to the people, and here's what he says. He says, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's, it's arrived. It's come or it's coming. And then the very next chapter in chapter 4, Jesus himself would, would go and begin to preach in his ministry. And he would say the exact same thing. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven or sometimes it's called the kingdom of God was Jesus' favorite thing to talk about. He talked about nothing more than he talked about the kingdom of heaven. The Sermon on the Mount, you're familiar with that. Chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew, that is all about the kingdom and what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven. You have statements like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is is the kingdom of heaven. And, and Jesus was so interested in the kingdom that he also told a bunch of parables, these stories that would illustrate what the kingdom is like. And three of the parables begin with these words, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to such and such. Six different parables say the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls or a farmer who's doing such and such or a net that pulls in these fish. The kingdom of heaven is like these things, and he'd give examples. Two parables in chapter 25 speak of the future kingdom, saying then the kingdom of heaven will be like something. So several times, Jesus, quite a few times, Jesus compares the kingdom to, to different things in our world to help us understand what it is. At one point, he tells his disciples this. He says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So he's imparted that to his disciples, an understanding of what the kingdom is. We also see that the kingdom is made visible in Jesus' ministry, and it's made visible when he's ministering miraculously and mercifully to people. So, so as people are healed, and he touches them and heals them, and they, they have their bodies, or their eyes are working again, or their legs are working again, that's the the, the impact or the visibility of the kingdom power as he cleanses lepers, as he forgives sins, and as he exercises kingdom authority over the spiritual realm, he says this, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, Matthew 12, 28. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is saying, the kingdom is here, and it's here in me, and I'm expressing it and making it visible in the work that I am doing. 
Now, compared to all other kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven is completely upside down. It takes the values that drive human kingdoms and flip them on their heads. So, so human kingdoms are driven by money, social status, ethnicity, political power, you name it. Those things drive human kingdoms. But in the kingdom of heaven, all those things are worthless. Rather, in the kingdom of heaven, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And Jesus was constantly making this point, especially to his disciples who were often pretty clueless about it. They, just like many of us, were power hungry, glory hungry. They wanted attention. They wanted to be the center of things. And he said things like this to them. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, Matthew 20. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And then in Matthew 23, 11 and 12, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And and so in this upside-down kingdom, those who think they're on the inside, and you might even call it an inside-out kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's an inside-out. Those who think they're on the inside will ultimately end up on the outside. The kingdom will will be taken out of their hands. So Jesus is speaking to the arrogant religious elites, and he says this in Matthew 21, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Now on the other hand, those who are least expected to be in the kingdom will enter it in droves. So Jesus welcomes the little children. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Again in chapter 21, he says, Truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. So the kingdom is upside down. And so with that kind of big overview, a lot of big themes that Jesus hits on in Matthew, allow me, if you will, to offer a definition. In the the simplest terms, the, the kingdom of heaven is, basically, it's God's rule on the earth in the lives of men and women. God's rule or his reign on the earth in the lives of people like you and me. So the kingdom of heaven becomes real on earth when God's rule, when his authority, his sovereign authority is submitted to and then carried out by human beings like you and me. In fact, this is the, this is the very thing that Jesus told us to pray for. Right? He said, pray, pray to your Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We might ask the question, okay, well, how in the world does Jesus' kingdom, how does the Father's kingdom come? Well, he tells us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how does the kingdom come? The kingdom comes when men and women do the will of the Father on earth just like his will is done in heaven. How is his will done in heaven? It's done without question. It's done in obedience. It's done fully. It's done joyfully. That's how his will is done in heaven. And when we do that on the earth, we bring the kingdom. We represent the kingdom. The kingdom is present. So the kingdom of heaven isn't kind of some future pie in the sky, by and by, we'll get there when we die, reality. 
Of course, we will be with Jesus forever in an eternal kingdom, but the kingdom is also now. So the the pearly gates imagery is is so wrong because the kingdom isn't something just in the future. It's not just a, a place of clouds where we go and we die. The kingdom, according to Jesus, in a very real way, is here and now. It's it's where heaven actually touches the earth. Now the problem is that the Bible tells us the problem is that the kingdom is opposed by human rebellion. If you look at the world, if you watch the news, which I encourage you not to, it's difficult to see anywhere where the kingdom of heaven has any sway. The connection between heaven and earth has been all but destroyed by the sin and rebellion of mankind. And that is, brothers and sisters, that's why Jesus, the Messiah, had to come. He had to come and usher in the kingdom because we couldn't bring the kingdom ourselves. We couldn't do it in our own power because every merely human attempt at creating the kingdom of heaven on earth will always go awry. It will always go sideways. We cannot do it. Jesus had to come as the Messiah to save us from our sins. And when I say sins, what I mean by that is he came to save us from this ugly and destructive habit we have of building our own kingdoms, of building up kingdoms that glorify ourselves, that give us power and a name. We're constantly attempting to build these kingdoms through money or power or sheer force of will, and Jesus has actually come to free us from that. So... Do you feel like you have a working idea of what the kingdom is? Let's consider Jesus' phrase, the keys of the kingdom again. I will give you, this is Matthew 16, 19 again, our actual verse for the morning. I will give you, Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. It almost sounds like Jesus is, I don't know, maybe he's reluctantly like a dad giving his son the the keys to the family car, you know, or to his sports. Okay, son, you can take this, but... Be real careful, you know. It almost sounds like that. Honestly, obviously they weren't car keys because we didn't have cars back then. But there's a, there's a weight to that. There's a responsibility to that that's present here. But Jesus wasn't talking about car keys. I think the kind of keys that Jesus was imagining would have been used for granting or restricting access to something. right? So opening or unlocking things. And also, on the other hand, closing or locking things. So it seems plain that the keys of the kingdom must have something to do with entrance to the kingdom, right? That's why we have that picture of St. Peter at the pearly gates. It's, it's about entrance to the kingdom. So the question is, what is it that gives access or entry to the kingdom of heaven? As we've already seen, the main thing that keeps us out of the kingdom is our sin. The main thing that that keeps us going our own way is our sin, our our rebellion against God's kingdom and building our own kingdom. And our rebellion makes entrance to the kingdom of heaven both difficult and rare. Most people would rather take the easy road than the difficult one, as Jesus points out in Matthew chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is easy, that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow. There's this huge highway And it's easy to be on that highway. It's easy to go to destruction. It's easy to follow our sin and our our own purposes and build our own kingdoms. That's not difficult. We do that without thinking. 
But Jesus says, you know what? Right next to that highway, there's a, there's a really skinny pass, and it's kind of treacherous, and it's steep. But get on that. That gate is narrow. The way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So according to Jesus, the only way that we can enter the kingdom of heaven is to abandon our kingdom projects, to abandon building our own name or our own fortune or, or securing for ourselves comfort and security and a nice retirement plan. The only way for us to enter the kingdom of heaven is to abandon all of our kingdom projects and embrace Jesus' kingdom project. And that's what he meant when he said, repent, turn around, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is a changing of one's mind. That's what the word literally means, a changing of one's mind, accompanied by a turning from one thing, like my kingdom, to another thing, like God's kingdom. So, so repentance is a change of both mind and posture. Okay, repentance is turning from our sinful kingdoms, our sinful allegiances, and giving our allegiance, pledging our allegiance to God and his kingdom alone. So, so repentance is not just lip service. It's not just religious activity. It's not just showing up at church on Sundays or, or giving every week or, or doing the things, going through the motions. None of those things will get, get us into the kingdom. Jesus says in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of of my Father who's in heaven. That's the one who will enter, the one who does the will of the Father. What's the will of the Father? Well, there's a lot to that question. (laughs) But it seems obvious that obedience to the Father and entrance to the kingdom begins with repentance and faith. If you want to do the will of the Father, start there. Repentance and faith. Matthew 21, Jesus again talking to the Pharisees, and he says, For John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and they entered the kingdom, Jesus says. And even when you saw it, he said, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. In other words, you did not repent, change your mind, change your posture, and you did not believe. You did not have faith. And that second piece is crucial. We've talked about repentance already, but the second piece of belief is crucial because it actually brings us back to our text for this morning in Matthew 16. It's exactly what Matthew 16 is talking about. The kingdom is open to all those to whom the Father reveals himself. We saw that in verse 17. The Father had revealed this great truth to Peter. So if the Father reveals the truth to us, then we, like Peter, will make the same great confession. We'll look at Jesus and say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that is a statement of faith. That is a statement of faith to which Jesus is now pointing Peter when he tells him, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So the ability to see Jesus for who he is and proclaim him as the Messiah, as the Son of God, that's a gift. The ability to do that is a gift from the Father, and it itself is the key to the kingdom. If you don't recognize and confess Jesus as the king, then you can't get into the kingdom. So Jesus was saying, at least in one sense, Peter, the Father has revealed this to you, 
You've confessed that I am the Christ, and now the kingdom is open to you. You have the keys. So, if I give you an exam right now, would you pass it? What are the keys of the kingdom? First of all, they are what grant entrance to the kingdom of heaven. So there's just a little summary. The keys grant entrance to the kingdom of heaven, at least in one sense. And entrance to the kingdom of heaven is gained through repentance and faith. So the keys, at least in some sense, must be whatever gives us, you and me, the opportunity to repent and to believe. And the way in which people repent and believe is by hearing and responding to a message. The message of the good news that we call the gospel. So at least in one sense, the keys of the kingdom is the message of the gospel itself. This is the same gospel that Peter himself would go and preach in order to unlock the kingdom for at least 3,000 Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Door open, 3,000 in and baptized. Several chapters later, he goes to Samaria and opens the kingdom to the Samaritans. In Acts chapter 10, I talked about this last week, he goes and he proclaims this good news of the gospel of Jesus to a house full of non-Jewish Gentiles. And God sends the Spirit on them and welcomes them into the church. Peter again unlocking the door and many coming in through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So let me put it this way. Through his death, which paid for our sins, and his resurrection, which defeated death, Jesus has opened the kingdom of heaven to all who will humbly repent. That is, all who will turn away from their own kingdoms and who will believe, that is, trust in and submit to Jesus as king. And so like Peter, that's the message, that's the gospel, that's the key. And like Peter, we all become heralds of that gospel. And whenever we speak the gospel, we are opening up access to the kingdom to all who will hear and respond. So Romans 10, and this is the one time I'm going out of Matthew today. Romans 10, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone, anyone who cries out to God and says, help, forgive me, save me, will be saved. How then will they call on him, though, if they, if they have not believed? And how are they to believe or have faith in him of whom they've never heard? So if they have never heard of Jesus, how could they believe? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? In other words, unless we proclaim the gospel, unless we open up the kingdom for people, they're never going to hear about Jesus. They're never going to believe. They're never going to call on the Lord and be saved. But Paul goes on. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So through his death and his burial and his resurrection, what Jesus has done is opened up the doors of the kingdom of God. And he's done it for every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. See, access, access to the kingdom of God is the greatest gift in the world. And it doesn't depend. You don't get access based on your social status. You don't get access based on your, your bank accounts. You don't get access based on your ethnicity or your popularity. It doesn't depend on your appearance. It doesn't depend on your power or your strength. Entrance to God's kingdom is open to all who will profess Christ as king and turn to him in repentance and trust. 
And what that means for you, if you are not a follower of Christ, if you've not put your faith in him, if you've not repented from your own kingdom building and trusted in him, what that means today is that the kingdom is open to you. Because the gospel has been preached. And if you've heard it, you have the opportunity to respond. The question is, will you humble yourself? Will you repent? Will you turn from your own kingdom projects and submit your life in faith to King Jesus? And if that's you this morning, if God's like tugging you into his kingdom this morning, I'm going to say go through the door. Believe. Trust. If you don't know how to do that, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the elders. Go to the prayer room. There'll be someone in there to counsel with you this morning if you need somebody to talk to. Now, for the rest of us, for those of us who would say, yeah, my faith is in Jesus. I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. I love this gospel. We have an incredible responsibility as the church, don't we? Because we possess the keys. I'm not talking about this key right here. We've got the keys. We've got the gospel, the very key to the kingdom. The question is, will we let people in? Will we tell them? Will we proclaim the good news that Jesus had died for them and given them eternal access to God through his death, burial, and resurrection? And if we won't, who will? How will they hear? Now, this morning we're coming to the table, and the musicians are going to come and play some music. And we, we come to communion every week, and this is really a visual representation of the same gospel I've been speaking about this morning, that Jesus died for our sins and through his death purchased forgiveness for all those who would trust him. And that's an opportunity open to all of us. So this morning, as we take of the bread and of the juice, we remember his broken body has poured out blood on our behalf so that we could come to him. This, this table, this meal is open to all who believe. You don't have to be a member of First Baptist. If you're a follower of Jesus, please come and partake. Let me pray. Our great God and Savior, we are thankful for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which reminds us that we are rebels, that we are sinners, that we have gone our own ways and created our own paths, and um, without you, God, we've run. We've run the opposite way all the time. We all do it without any help from our friends. We are kingdom builders. Jesus, this morning, I pray if there are hearts in this room, Lord, that you're drawing towards you, that you're opening eyes to see who you are, that you're showing Jesus maybe for the first time, Father, would you, would you do that work and draw them to yourself? Would you, would you spark faith and, and belief this morning? Jesus, would you be high and exalted and would we see you today for who you are? And even as we partake of the, of the bread and the, and the fruit of the vine, would we recall your death, your burial, your resurrection, all for us, all on our behalf. God, we are so grateful for the gospel. May we not take it for granted. May we not hide it in our pockets or put it in a drawer, but may we bring it out for all to see. May we be lights in this world so that men and women can hear the gospel and see the open door to the kingdom of heaven and come in. God, would you do a work amongst us even today and, and this week as we go. Pray these things in your name. Amen.